0: Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. It's odd how that whenever we mention different books of the Bible or different people in the Bible, just automatically there are some things that come to your mind. And uh, I think whenever we mention Daniel, and this goes all the way from the adults down to the kiddos, in children's church you just mentioned Daniel the book of Daniel and we automatically think about the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace or we think about Daniel in the lion's den and there are numerous amazing things in this book and that's to say nothing about the the prophecies in the book and so on and so forth but I'm I've become convinced that maybe perhaps the most amazing story of all gets overlooked. And I'm talking about what happens here in chapter 4 concerning Nebuchadnezzar the king. Now, before we look at the story, I want to briefly mention what had happened prior to that. In chapter 3, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and them refusing to bow down before the king's image of gold, and that resulted in them being thrown in the fiery furnace and then divinely delivered from that. Now, keep in mind that Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the most powerful nation on earth, and he was proud of that fact. And according to the standards of the world, he had every reason to be proud. He ruled over this vast empire And Babylon itself, the city, was the centerpiece of all of it. And and it was there the home of the Hanging Gardens, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And whenever these three young Hebrews refused to bow down to his image, can you imagine what a blow that must have been to his ego? That would have been a major embarrassment to the king. And at first... Based on a statement that he makes, you might assume that he had been converted because he makes a decree here forbidding anyone from speaking out against the God of the Hebrews. So that sounds good. All right, finally he got it. He woke up. But at that point in time, it was simply censoring people from speaking not only against them, but I suspecting any of the other gods that people worshipped in that day. So our God was just one God among many so far as he was concerned. But seemingly that problem was solved. But when we come to chapter number 4, we see that the problem still existed. Because after a dream and a warning from Daniel, in fact I want you to look at that warning in verse number 27 And this is after the dream where God is about to reveal to him his downfall. Daniel said, Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Notice what he says. If it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. In other words, if you want to really make things right, then you need to repent of your sins. You know, some of the best advice we ever receive come from people that have failed. There are many examples of that in the Bible. And our text is another example of that. In this case, it comes from one of the most unlikely people that we could ever imagine, and that's Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the mighty Babylonian Empire. He was the Saddam Hussein of that day, by the way. And it's evident in his confession that he discovered something that a lot of folks uh, never discover. Notice in verse 37, I just want to read just uh, one statement here, and then we'll move on from that. He says, those that walk in pride, he is able to abase now that's after the fact, that's after the story that we're going to be considering. And if you, if you don't believe that, then you need to really listen and consider the story that we're looking at this morning, because here's a man speaking from personal experience, and throughout the Bible we find evidence again and again and again proving that statement is true. So this is a lesson from a man who had failed miserably, a man that we would never suspect of being capable of offering good advice. Those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now, all of this begins here about verse 18, and we're not going to begin reading there, but but here, and actually the story starts earlier in the text. If you go back and read the first part of the chapter, God has been at work trying to get the king's attention, and he's used various things. In other words, God is trying to reveal to him the truth about who he, that is God, who he really is. And so in doing so, notice that that several things had already taken place. Uh, you know, he saw... Uh, how that Daniel and his friends had prospered although they refused to eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine. They said, no, we're not going to do it. And yet they prospered above all of the others. And so it was a way of God trying to get his attention. Well, we come to chapter number 2, and here we find Daniel revealing the king's dream and gave him an explanation of it. And uh, if that wasn't enough, we come to chapter 3, and we find here the three young Hebrews being delivered from the fiery furnace. And, boy, that ought to get anybody's attention, right, to think about the fact that here they are walking around in the furnace, and there's a fourth man in the fire, and God has delivered them from that. And so he enacts this law that nobody is to speak against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but... He has stopped short of actually turning to God. So now we come to chapter 4. And the king has another dream, and it tells us that it troubled him greatly. So he called in all of the wise men of Babylon, and all of them failed to interpret the dream. And so he finally turned to Daniel, who boldly proclaimed its meaning. And so in all of this, God is still at work trying to get his attention trying to reveal to him the truth about who he really is and by the way God's still doing that today God's methods have changed God you know he he speaks to us through his word today right he speaks to us by the conviction of the holy spirit today and he speaks to us through circumstances in life and so we know that God is at work trying to get our attention, trying to reveal Himself and His will to to everybody. Now, the problem is, just as it was in that day, we tend to be stubborn. That's a part of human nature. And most people are determined that they're going to do as they please. And even professing Christians are not exempt from this problem because a great many folks know exactly what the Bible says concerning God's will. And they they know that. They don't need a lecture about what is right and what is wrong. Their problem is that they hear the Word of God and yet refuse to do it. And so it's not until we humble ourselves, as the Bible tells us to do, that we're willing to receive the revelation that God has for us. And that, regardless of your age, regardless of how many years you've been saved, that still holds true Today. Now we come to verse 28, and here we see his rebellion. The revelation has been given, but notice here, beginning in verse 28, all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, so evidently nothing's changed. God's given him ample time to repent, nothing has changed for an entire year, that he walked in the palace. Of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of of, of the kingdom by, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. And while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. That refers to a seven-year period, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. So instead of him crying out to God, instead of him repenting, after an entire year, finally, the result of his rebellion is that God pronounces his doom upon his kingdom. Now notice, rather than crying out to God and pleading for mercy... He does nothing but boast about himself. Just look at this mighty Babylon. This is, this is the city I built. I did this for my majesty. It was all about him, you see. And every word he speaks is oozing with pride and expressing his rebellion against God. You know, sometimes people get the idea that because God is long-suffering, that he's indifferent. Right? Right? Well, you know, we, I know I'm out of the will of God, but nothing bad's happened so far. I mean, a month has gone by, two months, three months, and I, I can't can't help but imagine what Nebuchadnezzar is thinking. Perhaps those words of Daniel still ringing in his ears as the months go by, and it's an entire year. So now he is cocky enough that he's out strutting the streets of Babylon saying, look at this, everybody look. I want you to see what I've done. Look and see what I've built. I did this for my majesty. I did it by my power. And so he's still in a state of rebellion against God. And that naturally leads to his ruin. Look, look at verse number 30, 31 again. While the word Notice, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. And the, verse 33 says, The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. So, as the king was speaking, God interrupted his speech and pronounced judgment upon him. I, I wonder how that would have looked. I mean, how would that have played out? Here he is strutting up and down the street, speaking with a loud voice for everybody to hear look at what I've done. Look how great I am. And suddenly, I don't know who else heard God speak. I don't know if anybody else heard. But he did. Can you imagine all of a sudden him just stopping in his tracks there? Maybe nobody else hears. But he just stops dead in his tracks. And he hears the voice of God speaking to him the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. So God interrupted him. God uh, slammed shut the door of opportunity. And now, now he has to suffer the consequences of his rebellion. You know, that ought to be a warning to, to all, all folks who ignore God because someday God's going to interrupt whatever it is that you're doing and deal with you in his wrath. Over in Proverbs 29 and verse 1 it says, He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. In other words, there's a point of no return. There is a deadline that a person can reach. That's true even for a Christian. Whenever a Christian is living in rebellion against God, we can get to the place, as John said, there is a sin unto death. And we reach that point that God says enough is enough. I've been patient. I've been long-suffering. I've pleaded with them over and over again. I've given them every opportunity to make things right. And still they harden their neck against me. They to listen to me and to obey me. And God says enough and takes them out of this world. So Nebuchadnezzar is smitten here with a form of mental derangement is the best way I know how to describe it. It caused him to believe that he was an ox for seven long years. And think about how this must have affected the populace of the city there, the people that have seen the king in all of his glory. And now here he is out in the field, sleeping in the field, behaving like a, A beast, you know, at one time he had adorned himself with the best garments that money could buy. But now he's out in the field and he's wet with dew. There was a time when he groomed himself so as to look the part of a king. And when he came down the street, nobody had to wonder who that is because everybody knew that was the king. But now notice it says his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So here is the time that this man has basked in the comfort of the palace. And now he's sleeping out in the field. He had slept on the finest bed that money could buy. And now he's out sleeping on the cold, hard ground in an open field like a brute beast. There was a time that he ate the very best food that money could buy. He drank the finest wine that was possible. And now now it's grass and water. God brought him down from his lofty perch all of the way down. He stripped him of his honor. And those who once envied him, those who had praised him, now look upon him with pity. And so the question is, is there any hope? Is there any hope for a man like that? A man who has been brought down to a state of nothingness. And he's been in this condition seven years. I'm amazed at the patience of the people. Uh, You know, uh, it's hard to believe that somebody didn't suggest he needs to be incarcerated somewhere. I know he's the king, but after all, look at him. And he's not communicating. Think about what is happening to the nation as a whole as it begins to unravel, you would think, and everything is falling apart, and there he is out in the field communicating with nobody. Is there any hope for someone like that? Well, look at verse 34, and, 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 and here's the turning point. Notice in verse 34, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all of the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? You see, here's the turning point. Seven long years of torment. And now his arrogance gives way to adoration. His pride gives way to praise. And now his focus had shifted from gratifying self to glorifying God. And that's the place that everybody must finally come to if we want our lives to be changed for the better. Because simple, simply trying to reform your life is never enough somebody says well you know i'm not as bad as all of those christians and they've got a long list of the things that they've done the good works that they've employed and they think about all of the bad habits that they've quit but listen none of us get right with god by making a list of the good things that we've done We don't get right with God by simply stopping some bad habit in our life. It's well and good that somebody could reform their ways when they're wrong. That's well and good, but it'll never last without God because when God saves us, He changes our very nature. We become somebody we've never been before. He changes us in our core being. And here all of a sudden... After these seven years, he just stops dead in his tracks. Reminds me of the prodigal son when he said, when he came to himself. You see, sin is like spiritual insanity. To think that you can live your life apart from God. So finally, here we see the turning point, And notice we see the transformation that took place there in verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned unto me in what we just read. And it says, For the glory of my kingdom and my honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Aren't you amazed at God's power? There's no limit to the power of God. And maybe maybe this morning you're thinking about someone. It might be someone that you love dearly someone that you have prayed for, someone that you have talked to over and over and over again about their waywardness, and you've tried to help them, and maybe you've finally arrived at that place that you feel that this is just hopeless. I don't see any sense in talking to them anymore. I'm just going to leave them in God's hands. I'm just, you know, I, I, I'm i done with it. I'm not going to waste any more time with them. Let me remind you of what God has done and that God can still do the impossible. With him, there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Now, you know, maybe, maybe like Nebuchadnezzar, you think, well, I'll tell you one thing. I'll, I'll never bow down before uh, the God of the Christians. I'll never yield myself to God. Don't be too sure about that. God brought him down and he can bring you down. And by the way, there are people with that attitude. There are people who so despise God, that so despise God's people, that they have resolved in their heart that I'll never, ever bow down and conform my ways to the Bible because in their mind, they don't even believe the Bible is the Word of God. So here we see the transformation that has brought about his restoration And notice in verse 37, here's his testimony. This is so amazing. He says, now. You probably ought to underline that word now in your Bible. That's an important word, now. And it wouldn't have been great if it had been before, but he says, now. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment. Notice And those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. Those are remarkable words. And this once proud, powerful, sinful Gentile king is now converted so far as we can tell because now he is proclaiming his praise of Jehovah. And listen, if we're smart, we'll learn a lesson from this because, you know, some folks strut around in the little kingdom of self and they act like they're in control of their destiny, that they're going to do what they want to do. They don't have to answer to anyone. But listen, God can bring us down just like He brought Nebuchadnezzar down. So maybe, maybe there's someone here today, and you, you've, you've already heard it all, it might be that you attended Sunday school when you were a child growing up. It might be that you're regular in church attendance now, and you've heard it again and again that you must be born again. You've heard preachers say, except you repent, ye shall perish, and all. And all. You've heard all of the information, and yet you still have hardened your neck against God, and you have refused to repent and refused to turn to God. Let me tell you, now's the time because the door of opportunity is open. And whenever we read about this man, we, we, on, we only read that about another year of his life and his wicked son took his place, his grandson. All of a sudden, everything began to deteriorate at that point. And I've often thought if Nebuchadnezzar ever wondered about those years that he had wasted. The waste, I'm not talking about just those seven years. I'm talking about all of the years of his life that could have been used for the glory of God, that could have been used for something of eternal value. And all of these years of his life, he has spent those years just concerned with himself until now. And we come down to where, as far as we know, and anything that we can find to read about him, he only lasted uh, like uh, another year and so you have, to, you have to wonder what he thought about that. I've often mentioned that old song, Wasted Years, Oh, How Foolish, and spoke about how Bev's granddad and that song affected him and the change that it made in his life whenever he looked back and, and thought about all of those wasted years. And no doubt there are others that to this day Others that are wondering about the spiritual condition of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, th- those that really wonder, was he really truly converted? Or is this another, is this another scam? You know, Is this like, like it was before? Uh, how do we know he's really serious? Because we don't have a historical record, you know, giving us a lot of evidence of great things that he did. We, we don't know. I believe God left all of that information out for a reason. Whenever you get among preachers, there will be some that will say, there's no way that he was truly converted. And others say, yes, indeed, that had he not been really converted, we'd not read about this wonderful testimony here. Now, here's my point. Why do we have to wonder about it? Let this be a lesson to you. Don't you dare die leaving others wondering about where you stood with God. You ought to live your life in such a way that it leaves no doubt because the manner of your life should be such that it removes any doubt about your relationship with God. They shouldn't have to wonder about that. It's a heartbreaking thing to lose a loved one and really wonder in your heart were they really saved or not. Don't leave a question mark like that in the life of your loved ones. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you have been saved, you, there's no doubt about that. Let God use you to be, to be like a Daniel to others. And that is that you might be used of God to help bring others to God. Because Daniel demonstrated how we ought to treat our enemies. Now think about it. Nebuchadnezzar is the man that was responsible for basically destroying his life. I mean, he, he, he came in and sacked Jerusalem and he took him and a few other young Hebrews, took them into captivity back to Babylon to use for his own purpose. And You think about all of the lives that were lost and here is a young, young man, maybe a teenager, taken away to another country, separated from his family, his friends, his hopes, his dreams, and all of that. Nebuchadnezzar has ruined his life. And yet, whenever we read the record here, it is absolutely amazing that Daniel expressed so, such great concern about the king's welfare. And he, he does it repeatedly. I, I mean, it, it's obvious Look look in Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 1, this verse here, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Well, I'm not so sure that's what I would have said to him if I'd been in Daniel's shoes. Verse number 27, he says here, wherefore, O king, let, let my counsel be accepted. Acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thy iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Boy, he had more self control than I've had in my life sometimes. To think about the man who ruined your life, and not just your life, but your entire family. They've all suffered as a result of what this man did and yet Daniel is praying for his, the lengthening of his life and his tranquility and, and, his, and God's blessings upon him? Why would he do that? Well, Daniel was doing exactly what the nation of Israel was designed to do. This, this was to be the purpose of Israel as a nation. The Bible says they were to be a light unto the Gentiles. A lot of folks have the idea that God just loved the Jews and didn't love anybody else. That was never the case. There's never been a time when God didn't love the world. And it's the fact that God, out of the greatness of His love for the world, set aside one nation and said, I want to use you to show the rest of the world the way to me. And Israel as a nation failed, but thank God Daniel didn't. He was a bright and a shining light to that king. That king had to wonder, what have I got to do to these guys to ruin their day? I put him in a lion's den, I put the others in a fiery furnace, and, and they're still respectful to me, and so forth. Daniel had learned how to love the unlovely. Look, we can't do anything about the way that others treat us. There are going to be people that will hate you. There are people that will despise you. You might be shocked if you knew the real truth about what some people right here in this auditorium right now really thought about you. Uh, You can deceive yourself all you want to by thinking, oh, everybody loves me, baloney. Baloney. I'll guarantee I'll guarantee you that there are people that do not care near as much about you as what you would like to think. They're just they put it on the facade to make you think they do when they don't. And as long as you're in this world, you've got to deal with knuckleheads like that. Uh, it's a fact. You look, you can't dictate how other people treat you. The only thing we can control is our response to them. Thank God that Daniel didn't go off and pitch a fit. Thank God he didn't try to run away. He didn't do anything to jeopardize his position there that God had placed him in and was using him to be a light to Nebuchadnezzar and a light to that nation. And that's exactly what God expects from us when He says, You are the light of the world. Be a light wherever you go, just as Daniel was to Nebuchadnezzar. Don't ever underestimate the power of a godly example. You know, there are a lot of of folks when they look back on their life and they think about uh, who made the greatest impact on their life you know, the Sunday school teacher and the pastor, you know, uh, you know, we might like to think, boy, I made a really good impact on their life. And I hope that's true. In a lot of cases, it is. But a lot of times, it's a, it's a little old grandmother. It's a little grandmother. And her wise counsel and her love. It, it, it's it's a, the love maybe of a mother that was willing to... Not condone, but overlook the faults of the child and let them know and instill within them that I love you regardless of what you do. I don't approve of it, but you can't do anything to stop me from loving you. That power of a godly example. And that's what each and every one of us ought to strive to be, to those that we come in contact with. And that means learning to love those that are unlovely. Because that's the way God loved us. Yeah. In that while we were yet sinners, that not after we got better, not after we quit this sin and that sin, but in our sinful state, God said, I love you so much, and I'm going to prove it, I'm going to send my son down. I'm going to let you beat him to a pulp. I'm going to let you nail him to a cross. I'm going to let you speak all manner of evil against him and abuse him, murder him. Boy, did God ever prove his love. Amen? Because when Jesus died on that cross... All of the punishment, all of the pain and the suffering that he went through is what you and I should have gone through. And God said, I love you too much. I don't want that to happen to you. I'm going to make a way of escape. And you can escape that. Like Nebuchadnezzar when he finally came to himself and said, my reasoning returned to me. What he had been doing didn't even make any sense. And it doesn't make a lick of sense for somebody to leave here today without knowing Christ is their Savior. May God help you to do that. We're going to stand together as we extend this invitation. Father, use your word today to speak to our hearts, to change our lives. Help those of us, Lord, that, that have been born again, that we might determine in our heart that with your help and by your grace, through your strength, that we're going to be a light to others, that we're not going to let anger and bitterness rule over us and ruin our testimony, but rather we're going to love people regardless of how unlovely they are. And we're going to put our life in your hands and let you use us as an instrument, as a means to help bring them to your saving grace. But we pray in Jesus' name, amen. While we sing together.